Welcome back, y'all, to episode 152 of the Zachary Wingate Podcast, where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to bark on a journey of knowledge, absorbing things that are happening in our day-to-day lives, informing as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. That intro sounded so professional. Today we are having a sh- mobile show, a remote show, if you will. We're on the road. Natalie and I are on the road, and I wanted to inform her of the latest situations going on in the Moscow, Idaho murder case. She is not privy to all of the details, so I'll kind of be informing her in the show, getting her response, and just kind of getting the essential, I think, just kind of informing you. All right, cool. Where do we start? Alrighty, so Brian Koberg, Koherg, Koberg, is the Coterg. Coterg, <laughs> is the lead suspect of the case. Now, what's really interesting about him, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this, is he, in fact, was getting his PhD in criminal justice. You have studied criminal justice, so you kind of understand it. Like, you have a really good understanding of how things work, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. like, what was the extension of your studies? The extent? The extent. Of my studies? Like your hair, your extensions. Just kidding, she doesn't wear extensions, it's real hair. <laughs> um, I was in a two-year intensive on criminal justice. So a two-year intensive. I've never taken any criminal justice classes, so I have no idea what it's like. Or- Our uh, teacher was a retired detective, and he still did... Um, he still did a scuba, what was it called? Like search and rescue, underwater search and rescue. And he okay. has a school on that. So we also learned how to shoot guns. And yeah, everything to do with, you know, just the whole process of um, collecting evidence, you know, learning about serial killers, learning about criminals, um, the whole arrest process. We, we also went to um, some court cases i saw someone getting sentenced to life which was really sad wow that's super intense yeah and i also aside from that shadowed a criminal defense attorney for a little bit so um i guess my question for you is like within this process did you think maybe you learned how to I'm not going to say get away with murder, but you kind of learn the steps for it, right? Like, Yeah, but think about it. This guy also has a PhD in it. And I also heard that he was teaching at the university. No, he was a graduate assistant. So Okay, that, so he was teaching that. Yeah, but like, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, you took classes. But yes, I mean, yes, you do learn. So essentially, you learn all the ways that people get caught. Yeah. So you understand, oh my gosh, if you just didn't do this one thing, they would have gone away with it. Mm -hmm. In particular, in this case, what I saw is that the day that he actually, like when he was actually committing the murders, he left his phone at home and turned it off. So, excuse me, so that he couldn't get traced. There was no geolocation showing him at at the the location. And so... The thing is, the thing... So he knew that. Well, the thing that's tying the case together is... The issue is he turned his phone off from 2.30 a.m. to 4.34 a.m. So in that time period, he turned it off so he couldn't be geolocated. 
Now, he was aware of that, but what's really interesting about the case is the phone records have really tied it together, and that's where the police and the FBI have been able to kind of put together a profile that, in fact, he had been in the area 12 times since June with his phone on. Mm. So... Like casing the place? He was. So they think potentially he was casing the place, and the times were late evening, early morning. Mm. So now it's kind of like what they're trying to say is that because of that... What they're able to do is put in a that he was stalking and that's where they're trying to put the case together. But what's so crazy, too, about it is he drove his own car. Um, That is really dumb because I'm sure they had cameras and stuff at the gas at the uh, lights showcasing where he was at. Yeah, they did. And, And it is really dumb because it's like I thought about this in a way. It's like so you committed this You know, there's other dumb stuff about this case. That's why I opened up with the question about criminal justice. Well, so what's really interesting about this is that the um, cops already knew that he had some involvement. Within two weeks of the murders, he was already a suspect. And what they did with the month um, after the murder is that they pulled him over twice. Did you know that? And they pulled him over twice with the intention of catching his hands with the body cam to see if there was any cuts on his hands or any cuts on his face. So, so uh, that's where, so that's what they thought originally. That's what a lot of people were saying on TikTok. But within the um, affidavit that was released... Yeah, the 20-page affidavit. They're saying that they didn't do that in the affidavit. That it was randomly that he was pulled over twice. But I've heard either way, like... No, I heard in the affidavit that that's exactly what, like, the plan so was. I heard the other thing. But it's like, but, but oh either God, way... Oh, God, TikTok, don't fail us now. Either way, like, when you look at the... What they're saying is, like, people did look at his hands to determine if he did get cut... Um, or if there was any cuts like that. Okay, so you saw the the body cam of him getting pulled over. Do you think his dad knew anything? No, I don't think his dad knew anything. Because people in the comments, people out in these streets were like, that poor dad, he doesn't know anything. And then I saw a tiny portion that was like, the dad knows, look at his face. No, I don't think the dad has any idea. I mean, how... I mean, that guy's like a wholesome dad. You know, it's like you're looking at a picture of a guy... And he looks like normal, but it's like the thing that sticks out about that footage is Brian Koberg's eyes look so, like, possessed. Yeah, he does not look normal whatsoever. You know, and it's like, and the and there's so many levels to the case. And this is what makes the affidavit so interesting is, like, in another podcast, I talked about how whoever this killer is, more than likely, their DNA is not in the criminal justice system. It's probably potentially a first-time offender. Um, should I go right or left here? You can go uh, left. You think I should? I think yeah, I should. you can go left. Because going right would take us to Del Rey. Going left would take us to Old Town. Well, but we want to go towards Del Rey. Going left takes you to Old Town. Okay. Spit like straight. Um, okay. So the but other. Okay. I was going to finish my train of thought. So you look at the database system. So you have these situations that occur. Okay. Whenever there's like a... Now we live in an environment where there's going to be DNA. Everyone knows that. And Brian Goldberg's DNA was never into the police system. So there's multiple different database systems. And they're saying that they're able to tie the genome... The the, 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 the
the G. Help me out, baby. I don't know what you're trying to, genetics? <laughs> genetics. The, DNA. It's called genealogy to <laughs> do it. And they and they what they did is they took a DNA, the cross-reference to something like 23andMe. See, this, I heard it wasn't 23andMe. It said, oh my God, look at the moon, full moon and cancer. Wow. Um, it was that they they were actually going through his trash no, because they I mean, had him as a suspect. So here's, here's what I'm getting. So this is how they got him as a suspect is they check the DNA, they determine that they found a distant cousin, then they cross-reference it with potential people in the area, and that's where the Hyundai Cilantro popped up, and they were starting to run footage and identify that the Honda Cilantro was in that area. Wait, what does the Hyundai have to do with anything? The Hyundai Cilantro is his car. That's the white car. Right, but how do they find the car? I'm telling you, they cross-reference the DNA with the ge- with the genome tree. Right, but what? where does the car pop into the, the DNA. <laughs> because they, I just told you, they cross-referenced it to a cousin, identified he lived in there, then they ran car so records they for people. The cousin. No, they, they, they found the cousin's DNA in 23andMe. But how is that connected to a car? I'm telling you, baby. Okay. Okay, they, they okay. checked the area for potential individuals related to this distant cousin because they found DNA at the crime scene. What they found is that they looked through the footage before and they found this Honda Cilantro that was driving around in the evening and in the morning hour, which seemed really odd. They cross-referenced that and that's how they were able to find that it was Brian's car, okay? So then they found that DNA on a sheath for a K-bar knife, which is a Marine Corps knife. It was like a drop of blood. That's what they took and they ran through. So they had all of this DNA evidence, and it's not illegal for the police to go through your trash. They don't need a warrant because it's discarded rubbish. They went and they found some potential DNA tied to the father, and it matched Brian's at 99.8%. That's why they're able to match everything up with the DNA. You know who would be a great person to to talk to to about this? KP. She literally has a degree in criminal justice, full degree, and she was a police officer. Just saying. That's true, but it's pretty impressive that I know all that information that I'm just trying. Don't you think so? Shout out to me. Shout out to you. I'm just, but anyway, so that's that's where the DNA comes in with the Honda Cilantro, is that's how they're able to tie all the pieces together because he left the sheath at the murder scene. So a sheath is a gun? No, a sheath is what you put a knife into. Oh, I'm sorry, not a gun. I meant to say knife. Yeah. Uh, that's a holster. Okay. So the sheath was left there, and somehow a drop of his blood ended up on the button of the sheath. So I know we're about to get a little bit gruesome, but I heard that one of the victims was stabbed a lot more than everyone else. Was there any discovery there? Well, a lot of stuff in the affidavit hasn't been affidavit. affidavit hasn't been released in terms of all that information, but they do think I think one of the suspects was targeted more, was stabbed more violently, um, and she was really it was a very gruesome scene, and they think there was one targeted more and if you look at his instagram account he's following him if you look some people like pulled up his spotify account and was seeing that he was following both girls that were targeted wow so so, i mean i so so he it looks like he was targeting both women 
and it's unfortunate that the other two were kind of lumped in and, and, and killed in this quadruple homicide. So, so why do we think he didn't kill the roommate? And, you know, before the police officers said, police officers said the official statement was that the other roommates were asleep now we know they weren't asleep they saw the man they made eye contact walked past him and the victim or the the witnesses were in a freeze state and so they didn't respond or react for eight hours um which gosh i can only imagine how traumatic that must have been um but i'm curious why do we think he didn't kill the other roommates so the roommate in the affidavit that she goes by dm and dm is her name and or presumably she was sleeping like obviously we don't have all the information we're taking what the media is saying and there's little snippets of what law enforcement is saying and you know we really don't know wait did you not see the the part about how she made eye contact with him and then yeah, described yeah. it to They made eye contact, but when... And, and he so walked I, past I, her. Should I go right here? I get off here. Tell yes, me. you get off here. Um, so they walked past her, but what's not stated there is if he saw her. So all we know she freeze. She opened up the door three times. The first time, um, it seems like one of the roommates got DoorDash and she overheard her say something like, there's somebody here. DM looked out the window, didn't see anything, and went back to what he was doing. Then she thought she heard crying and whimpering. And she thought she heard a man say, it's okay, I'm here to help you. So she opened up the door again, and she was just like, okay. The third time is what they're saying is that she opened up the door. She saw a man walking down the steps wearing all black with a potential mask, 5'10", not muscular, athletic build, with bushy eyebrows okay so that's kind of what she said within the case and then she shut the door went to sleep and didn't call 911 for eight hours and indicated that they were trying to wake him up but they weren't waking up um well, obviously they were stabbed to death should i go to down making it right but once again we don't have all the information i do think if it's it's 4 a.m and let's say you're partying all night you're in college you know, if you do, if you're drinking, it's one thing. Let's say you're doing drugs on top of that. It's 4 a.m. You're you're kind of like, did I just imagine that? You know, if you're taking lots of substances. Do we know that they were taking substances? Yeah, they all were come back from parties. She had, she talks, she did have um, alcohol within her system. That's why they think this could be thrown out in court. Um, and, you know, if I'm just like 